0: Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters— I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. This episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome to Brain Stuff, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, Brain Stuff, Lauren Vogelbaum here. The story of the Black loyalists to Britain during the American Revolution is the story of a people stolen into slavery who fought for their freedom, exacted revenge on cruel self-proclaimed owners, and established one of the first free Black settlements on the continent. It's also a story of broken promises, racial discord, and the lengths to which people will go to find a better life. And it's a nearly forgotten chapter in North American history. When the American colonies declared independence in 1776, enslaved Africans and their descendants made up 20% of the colonial population. The population of South Carolina was 60% enslaved people, and Virginia was 40% due to the large plantations in those states. Though slavery was not just a Southern institution, in some Northern cities like Boston, enslaved people made up 20% of the population. Even before the war for independence officially began, the British tried to recruit the enslaved to rise up and fight against their rebel plantation owners. Loyalist was the term given to people who still supported Britain in the American colonies. In 1775, the British Royal Governor of Virginia, Lord Dunmore, issued a stunning emancipation proclamation promising freedom and land to all enslaved people who would take up arms against their rebel masters. Dunmore was looking for manpower to put down an armed rebellion in Virginia, and he found it. Between 800 and 2,000 enslaved people and indentured servants fled their plantations and joined with the British, including a hard-fighting militia that would become known as Dunmore's Ethiopian Regiment. This militia marched to battle in uniforms inscribed with the insignia, liberty to slaves. Dunmore's proclamation was, quote, the first mass emancipation in American history. That's according to one Isaac Saney, a history professor at St. Mary's University in Nova Scotia. It happened nearly 90 years before Abraham Lincoln signed the U.S. Emancipation Proclamation, which ended slavery in areas not under the control of the United States government. When the tides turned against the British in 1779, they issued a second emancipation called the Phillipsburg Proclamation, which extended the promise of freedom and land to any enslaved person who would cross the British lines without the requirement to fight. The move was a form of economic warfare against the colonies. Saney said, escaping Africans would weaken the rebel economy You'd have this mass emancipation taking place, and the colonists would now have to expend resources to guard the plantations instead of using them in battle. An estimated 12,000 emancipated people fought for the British, but the war was lost. When the British surrendered in 1783, one of the central points of contention, Saney says, was, quote, the return of what George Washington deems U.S. property, which are the enslaved Africans the British commander-in-chief Guy Carleton kept his word and negotiated certificates of freedom for all so-called black loyalists who had joined the British ranks before the surrender under one condition, they had to leave the country. Carleton's men carefully recorded the names of 3,000 newly freed men and women in what's known as the Book of Negroes, which was an accepted term for black people at that time. The freedmen were then put on ships heading to Nova Scotia which was a British-ruled Canadian province. But Nova Scotia in the late 1700s was sometimes known as Nova Scarcity. In 1783, 40,000 Loyalists, both black and white, fled to Nova Scotia, including 1,232 black people who were still enslaved by white Loyalists. All of these people tripled the native population and completely overwhelmed the province's meager resources. The newly freed Black loyalists, far from receiving their just rewards in a new home, found themselves last in line for land and exploited as cheap labor. Widespread poverty and underemployment across Nova Scotia brewed ugly discontent among white people, some of whom blamed the Black laborers for working for too little pay and thus stealing their jobs. Racial tensions erupted into violence in 1784 when a black preacher by the name of David George baptized a white woman. The riots and massacres raged for months, claiming many black homes and lives, until troops were finally sent in from the capital, Halifax. The black loyalists repeatedly petitioned the crown to keep its promises from the war, eventually sending the emissary Thomas Peters all the way to London to make the case in person. Peters got nowhere with royal officials, but did meet with a group of British abolitionists who were launching a social experiment in Sierra Leone, West Africa, a sanctuary for victims of the slave trade. They convinced Peters that the best place for the emancipated people was back in Africa. In 1792, 15 ships sailed from Halifax Harbor in Nova Scotia to Sierra Leone, carrying 1,196 black loyalists who had, said quote, voted with their feet against broken promises of land and freedom. Saini calls it the maiden voyage of the Back to Africa movement. Those who stayed behind in Nova Scotia largely settled in the village of Birchtown, named for Samuel Birch, one of the British generals who signed the original certificates of freedom. Today, Jason Farmer is a ninth-generation descendant of the Black loyalists who first settled Birchtown. Farmer can trace his roots back to Jupiter Farmer, an enslaved person who escaped from Brunswick, New Jersey. Jupiter married a woman named Venus, yes, and established a continuous line of the Farmer family that's remained in the Birchtown area for more than 230 years. Farmer is an interpreter at the Black Loyalist Heritage Center and Historical Site in Nova Scotia, where he's proud to share the remarkable story of his ancestors who dared to escape the plantations and join with an occupying army to win their freedom only to continue to fight for true freedom and equality in a new land. A farmer said, It's an unknown history right here in Nova Scotia. They're amazed. It's powerful. Some of them can't even sit there and listen to it all. They have to take breaks. Some of them cry. Some 20,000 black people live in Nova Scotia today, most of whom are descended from the black loyalists. Saini says that the legacy of the black loyalists is of a persecuted people exercising black agency. He said, "'These are people who took their fate "'and their destiny into their own hands. "'Just to get to the British side "'took a lot of courage, skill, and ingenuity. "'The fact that so many of them chose to fight "'and saw themselves as not only defending their freedom "'but participating in the liberation of others "'speaks to the breadth and depth "'of their conception of agency.'" but also is part of a collective struggle for freedom. Today's episode was written by Dave Ruse and produced by Tyler Klang. For more on this and lots of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. BrainStuff is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.